He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life. What a day. Saturday, March 19, 2022. Some shows are better than others. So are some days. That's the song by Troubadour Dave Gunders. Some days dedicated this week to the Ukrainian refugees. And we have a great idea how to help them. Rabbi Rick Rines, who is a Colorado community leader. And I'm proud to say rabbi at the shul I attend. He lays down some knowledge. One, how to help refugees from Ukraine, the JCC of Krakow. Go to my website and you will see the link and you will understand the reasons why to contribute. Rabbi Ryan's also paints the picture of Purim and Putin. And oh my goodness, the just concluded holiday came right on time. This is an exceptional interview. And we follow it up with our troubadour and also our sound of the week on Right Wing Media Watch, featuring Stephen Tubbs and his despicable interview with the despicable Michelle Malkin. No hard questions, just love shared. White Power Radio, Denver Trump Radio, again exposed. And then we expose Representative Madison Cawthorn, the North Carolina corollary to Lauren Boebert. Judge Bob Orr is a North North Carolinian. I can say that. Judge Bob Orr, what a great North Carolinian. He's lived there all his life, won statewide office many times as Supreme Court Justice. Before that, the Court of Appeals. Lifelong Republican, but he's given that up. One, he would not support Trump at the convention in Cleveland. You have to hear that story. Then... He left the party for good after January 6th, and he's dedicated his podcast, The Rumble, The Battle for NC-11, to featuring candidates who could possibly defeat Madison Cawthorn. I like a man with a mission and a podcast, Man of the Law, Judge Bob Orr, sensational in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, but right now, You are going to enjoy this interview with Rabbi Rick Rines. He is smart as they come. And this interview is timely. Enjoy. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show. But more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer. And I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, You know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my 
parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. There's a great new Colorado law. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960 to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Gosh, I'm excited about this interview. I woke up excited to talk to Rabbi Rick Rines. I saw him the other night on Purim. He is one of the most interesting, influential, and important people in Colorado in my life. Rabbi Rines, thanks a lot for being here. Oh, Craig, you're you're wonderful, and it's a pleasure to be here and to, to share this time with you and all of your listeners. Speaking of time... I don't think these are normal times. You have three beautiful boys. Gosh, I admire you and Susan, the way you've raised your family. But my boys, they're coming to me, and I just shake my head, and I say, these are not normal times. Do you agree? Absolutely, they're not. Uh, In every generation, we're faced with challenges, and it's impossible for us to say that they're more difficult now than they were what we faced with the uh, time when we were raised, where they trained us to go into the hallway of our schools and put our hands behind our neck because there might be a nuclear war, right? Uh, Every generation faces its challenges and has its boogeymen and has its haymans. We most certainly have them as well, and we have to train our children. In fact, that was one of the things that we talked about at Purim was teach your children, prepare for the fact that there are challenges. There are evil people in every generation, and none of us get scot-free. We have to be strong. Right. I now, I don't think you are near as old as me, but I definitely told my boys about duck and cover drills when I went to Ellis and Dallas Elementaries here in uh, Denver, but... I think a lot of people turn to religion in these frightening historic times, and I was just so honored to be there at the Purim service, and for you to bring home the relevance of Purim and a lot of Jewish historic events, really they're historic events for all the great religions, but uh, I just thought it was amazing to have it after a sabbatical due to COVID and for us to be able to be together 
and talk about it at this moment when Russia is attacking Ukraine. It it really was something. Tell everybody what Purim is about and how it might apply to what's going on in the world right now. Absolutely. Well, for Jews and Christians, and uh, as you read the Bible, there's the book of Esther. And in the book of Esther, it tells a story of the diaspora experience of the Jews who lived in what was Persia and Babylon after the destruction of the first temple. So we're talking about 24, 2,500 years ago. And Queen Esther, who was an orphan and raised by her cousin Mordechai, uh, just happened to uh, catch the eye of King Ahasuerus, and he um, anointed her as queen. Now, he had a whole harem of uh, attendants uh, in his day, uh, but uh, Queen Esther was his, uh, his main queen, and she was in a position to make uh, a remarkable defense for freedom and goodness. Now, at that time, again, they're refugees. She had to hide the fact that she was Jewish because they were a conquered people, the Jews who were of Judea, who had been uh, conquered and exiled by the Babylonians in the year 586 before the Common Era. They were strangers in a strange land, and they had to uh, watch their step as minorities and vulnerable people have to do, right? Uh, you might say, well, that's, uh, we would hope that everyone who's a minority, everyone who's in a vulnerable situation, that they would all feel a sense of security. Well, it's easier said than done. And the story of Purim resonates with so many of uh, us nowadays, Christians and Jews and other people who read the story, they go, I can identify with, with what she's going through. Well, as happens, uh, a man came to power named Haman, who was her, uh, King Ahasuerus's number one counselor. And he was a terrible anti-Semite. No doubt he probably hated other minorities as well, but the book of Esther in the Bible talks about his particular hatred for Jews. And he convinced King Ahasuerus to have a decree to have a day, the 13th day of the month of Adar, in which all of the people would uh, attack Jews and kill them all from the youngest to the oldest, right? And so Mordechai went to uh, uh, Queen Esther, they were cousins, and said, Esther, you have to, you have to stand up to this guy. And Esther said, I can't go to the to the king. I can't expose myself. I could be in danger. And Mordecai said, there's times in which your personal danger has to take a second place to what is right for the the, the good of the greater society. So Esther mustered, mustered the courage, and she went to King Ahasuerus, and she planned a couple of banquets in which ultimately Haman's evil plan was exposed. So the story that resonates with us is that there are monsters, there are evil people, there are people who are uh, who arise in every generation to um, to cause destruction and um, uh, hatred and bitterness and bigotry and um, Haman was just that uh, one symbol that the Bible focused on. It wasn't the first, by the way. The first was uh, a group, a tribe called the Amalek. And in chapter 25 of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the Bible says, that in the Torah it says, 
Zachor v'lotishkach, remember that there are these Amalek. Now, who were the Amalek? The Amalek were a terrorist tribe who attacked the refugees of the Israelites as they were coming out of Egypt. Again, they were just recently freed slaves, right? And they attacked the rear part of the caravan of these Israelite refugees. Now, who's, under, who's at the rear of the caravan? The older, the sick, the women with children, those who are least able to defend themselves. So the Torah says, Zachor, remember that there are people like this. Lo tishkach, don't forget that there are people like this. Now, it sounds similar, uh, the, the, the verbs, both to remember not to forget, and you'll have to ask me about that in a second, um, because otherwise I'll keep going on for, no, for the no, entire it's podcast. No, that's the, keep going. Yeah, the idea is remember what had happened, right? Remembering is an, uh, um, an act of making sure that uh, I recall it, but also that I teach it to the next generation who weren't there. You and I talked a little bit about the nuclear threats. We um, can't imagine our children will fully understand it, but we have to tell them about it. We have to tell them about the Cold War. We have to tell them about the Nazis. We have to tell them about the, uh, the bigots that plagued African-Americans in this country. We have to uh, tell them about the evil that exists in every generation and uh, in order to help prepare them. And then the last, uh, the, the, the second verb, lo tishkach, do not forget, right? That's, um, that's warning us against complacency. Never think that, oh, the worst is over, all the income free, we're safe now. And so why is that passage significant? Because the Amalek were the um, tribe of Haman. Haman was a descendant of King Agag, and uh, you'll find in the, uh, the, the book of, of Samuel, the first book of Samuel, chapter 15, in which uh, King Saul and Samuel have to uh, address the Amalek. They're trying to defeat them finally. And the king of the Amalek where it was Agag. And in the book of Esther, it says Haman was a descendant of, he was an Agagite. He was a descendant of King Agag. So the, the Bible tries to put it as if they're all related. It's a, uh, a, um, a, a tribe of people that are always determined to cause evil or hurt or hatred in one generation after the next. It's just a metaphor for us because we know it's not confined to just one um, tribe or one people, um, but rather for us always to remember that there are those out there who are going to cause hatred and bigotry, and we have to be aware. We have to keep our head on a swivel, remember and not to forget. And so that's the story of Purim. It's a joyous celebration because King uh, Queen Esther was able to overcome Haman, um, and it reminds us that when we do overcome the Hitlers and the Putins, um, we will have time for celebration, but even after the celebration, don't forget, there are others out there. Right. It's like every Jewish holiday, almost. They came to kill <laughs> us. We won. Let's eat. Except on Purim, we get to drink, too. But back to the bad part. And God, apparently, whatever, on this world, there are these evil people. I've confronted it in my career, but the enormity of the murder— and let's call it what it is, 
murder on a grand scale. We we talk about Purim, and they were bent on wiping out the Jewish people. The enormity of the crime, the enormity of what's going on in Ukraine now, the the willingness to wipe out a people, it's amazing. And and the other part of the Purim story, Rabbi, is Haman got offended because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him, right? And true. And and the vanity of this leader that everybody needed to uh, provide loyalty to him. Now you look at Putin and you wonder about the sycophants around him. This is an age-old story, right? Absolutely. That's a beautiful way of putting it. There, the bullies want everyone to kowtow to them, and they have this, these terrible threats. Uh, it's it's just um, uh, stunning to watch Putin with his own counselors, his own so-called cabinet, in which they sit, whatever, 50 feet away from him, and he mocks them, and he teases them, and he threatens them with his uh, little smirk, and they're shaking in their boots. They know that all he has to do is snap his finger, and they, their family, are gone. And uh, he rules under a uh, a cloud of, of threat and of violence and of uh, of evil, and that's for his own people. That's for his own staff, for goodness sakes. And how wonderful it was when this uh, comedian, this entertainer turned uh, uh, president, uh, Vladimir uh, uh, Zelensky, who um, uh, he did, obviously Putin didn't take him seriously, but this guy, uh, his character caught the eye of the Ukrainians because he wasn't a BSer. He wasn't one who was a career politician. He was just a man who had ethics, morals, and who cared. And he said, I'm not going to give you a bill of, uh, of goods. I'm not going to be corrupt because the Ukrainian government had been terribly corrupt. The, the um, uh, independent uh, uh, right, because they were manipulated by Putin and Paul Manafort, and in their own, their own, right, right. And it was a corrupt. Okay. And Marie Ivanovich tried to clean it up, and Rudy Giuliani bullied her, and I was all right. over that Ukrainian impeachment. Right. But what about so this, what about yeah, so having this, these embedded oh. Jewish heroes like right. Zelensky, well, just uh, like Esther, isn't it? Right. So that's why I said you're so uh, so correct. Here's Zelensky, this guy who um, uh, the the great politicians didn't take seriously, but the Ukrainian people saw that he was a man of of character that uh, and of morals and ethics, uh, a Jewish man, a proudly Jewish man, who um, when Putin said bow down, just like Haman said to Mordechai, bow down. Zelensky said, no, I'm not bowing down. We are our own people. We have our own destiny. We, have, we deserve to have our freedom from bullies like you, and he didn't bow down. Now, Putin, of course, rattled his sword and, uh, and, and is now causing terrible destruction. And, you can, and the, uh, a rally once taught me something about evil people, um, is that we're better off knowing what they really are and who they really are, because 
rats hate light, right? For a long time, Putin was going on like, oh, I can be a world leader, and I, and I'm a, uh, I should be taken seriously, and, and uh, I'm, uh, you know, just like uh, the, the head I'm of... I'm the king uh, of Shushi, no. Things will go as I say so. Right. But all of a sudden, the push comes to shove, you get to see his true colors against his own people, against the Ukrainians, and here's the fact... We know that a person like Putin, he will not be satisfied with a Ukraine. We cannot say, oh, it's just going to be like Czechoslovakia. Give that to Hitler. Give that to the Germans. And, and that'll be satisfied. That'll give them the living space. Was a Liebenstrom, right? They're, they all have their living space. They'll be, they'll be satisfied. Evil's never satisfied. Evil has an insatiable appetite. That was Haman. That was the Amalek. And that is Putin now as well. So that the the, the leaders in, in Poland, in uh, Moldova, in, um, uh, in in Georgia, and all the other eastern Baltic states, they know um, Putin has his eyes on them next. So we have to stand strong. Right. And Zelensky says, "I won't bow down." I love that guy. I'm worried for him. And isn't that the turning point really in the story of Purim and the story of Ukraine, God willing, is that the turning point was when the embedded Jewish hero said, you know what? I'm willing to die. I'm not leaving. I'm going to take my chances. I'm going to be brave. And it's, it's amazing. Esther was scared to death to approach the king. But eventually she got her courage together, and she saved everybody. Right, just, and she acknowledged it. She, you know, she said, if I perish, I perish. You know, she acknowledged, you know what, I can't be concerned just about me anymore. It has to be about the greater good. And that's what heroes do. Heroes say, I have my own self-interest. I, I want to live and be happy and be healthy and all this, but not at the expense of... of uh, of permitting injustice and hatred to flourish. There are so many interesting aspects to this story, not the least of which is you have a female hero. That's kind of unusual, and she is so brave, and yet there's a bit of sexism. Doesn't she, you know, find favor with the king because she's attractive? She catches his eye, as you put it, and uh, she got real skinny before she fasted for three days. That sounds like anorexia to me, but I'm just wondering <laughs> about the uh, the gender roles. And, and one of the things that seems to hang up Putin and Hitler, and I bet Heyman back in the day, he's talking about gender fluidity and, you know, there's men have to be men. And always with these tyrants, these bullies, these genocidal maniacs, they go after gay people. They they go after gender issues all over the place. Uh, am I on to something? Well, I think you certainly you can uh, use the the story and see in it how evil manifests in different ways, and there the evil manifests itself in sexism and and homophobia, most certainly. Uh, in that. Uh, certain bullies who uh, scream the loudest about uh, gay rights uh, have are fighting their own demons in, in, in some ways, right? Right. So uh, Esther, however, used her charms productively, right? So you can say, well, uh, she was attractive, and that's how she was was able to be queen, but. 
um, the, the commentator says it wasn't just her external beauty. There was something about her aglow, a, a goodness that attracted uh, a, a, an a, a king. Because don't forget, he had a whole harem of of, uh, of to pick from. So it wasn't just sexual conquest. One, he was attracted to something special, and um, that too is. A, a power and a significance that human beings have, not to lead just with physical attractiveness, but use your God-given uh, talents and powers for good. And part of that may be in the external and the superficial uh, uh, physical beauty, but that you can't control. You most certainly can control the goodness, the sweetness, the generosity of spirit. And that is evident, Craig, and you and I have seen it in, in so many different cases where someone who just exudes a sense of goodness, and it doesn't matter what they look like or if they're, uh, how they dress or their shape or the rest. Let's face it, uh, as, as we age, uh, looks are not what we're going to uh, lead with, right? But what kind of spirit do you have? And that was Esther's true beauty. It was that of the Ruach, of her spirit. And that's Zelensky, right? I mean, you, this I guy is so. made for the moment. Uh, he exudes right. something special. To me, he might be the leader of the Western world if he can survive this. Well, you know, here's, here's really fun, because people uh, were mocking him because he was a comedian, right, uh, an entertainer. And there's a wonderful story in the Talmud. It's repeated in a couple of different ways, actually, in which um, a, a rabbi who was thinking because he's so pious and scholarly that certainly he was uh, one that was most deserving of, of praise, right? So he goes into a marketplace, and all of a sudden Elijah the prophet appears from heaven to this rabbi, and the rabbi says, Elijah, um, uh, what, a, what an honor. And Elijah says, well, it's good to see you too. The rabbi says, of all these people in the marketplace, all these people hustling and bustling back and forth, who is most deserving of, um, of a life in the world to come. And, um, of course, the rabbi thought it must be him because he was, he's the greatest of the scholars and he was the most pious and all the rest. And Elijah looks around and he sees two jugglers um, uh, uh, over uh, uh, one of the stalls um, uh, entertaining a group of people and causing them to laugh. And Elijah at first had said, well, there's no one here. And then as I looked at the jugglers and the entertainers, and he said, those two over there. And the rabbi was offended. How, how could you possibly think it's those two jugglers over there, those two entertainers? Uh, they're just fools. And Elijah said, what do they do? They spend their whole day just trying to bring joy and laughter to other people. That is the sweetest gift that any human can give. That's why they are most deserving of everyone here, Rabbi, of the blessings in heaven. And it teaches us, here's a Talmud written by rabbis, right? So why are they making fun of themselves? They're making fun of themselves because it's not the piety, it's not how observant you are of these laws, it's not uh, necessarily the greatest of the scholars, it's the sweetest soul. It's the one who um, is concerned with the smile and the joy of other people. And here's Zelensky. He was an entertainer. He brought smiles and joy to other people. So don't ever discount 
the fact that he was uh, an entertainer and says, see, he, he can't take him seriously. He's just a lightweight. That's not a lightweight. He has a heavyweight spirit bringing joy and goodness. And that's what he's doing now for his people in Ukraine and for the rest of us. Yeah, his sense of humor is so valuable. Winston Churchill was certainly full of witticisms and great writer, form of entertainment as well. But from the sublime to the terrifying, and it's part of the Purim story too, and it's part of the January 6th story, which impacted me greatly. I don't want to uh, diverge too much into that. But in the year 2022, you'd think that we would put away a lot of this primitive crap like these wars, what's going on in Ukraine. But the concept of gallows and people being hung at gallows, the imagery memorable from January 6th, hang Mike Pence. And yet in Purim, that's a big part of the story that the gallows were built to exterminate the Jews, but it was Haman who met his uh, deserved ending with the gallows. What is it about gallows? Oh, I think because it's a, it's a public display of punishment. And you're right, Haman and his uh, crew said, let's build a, a, a gallows 50 cubits high so that the whole community can watch him squirm uh, as he's being hung or impaled as in those days uh, on this uh, on this post and uh, it's a public humiliation it's not just putting the people to death but it's humiliating them and so you know I don't, I don't want to make it too much uh, into the politics with uh, January the 6th um, I will make reference back to that passage, which um, we read on the Shabbat right before Purim. And on Shabbat Zachor, the Sabbath of Remembrance, we read that chapter 25 of the book of Deuteronomy. And that's where it says, Zachor v'lotishkach, remember and don't forget. And as we had talked earlier, Craig, what is the remembrance? It's the remembrance that every generation will face it. Remember what had happened, and don't forget that it will continue to happen. There will continue to be things in this world that will um, will challenge us. And it, uh, it may be from people that you know, and it may be from people that um, just rise up out of the out of the wisps of of the cloud of of the unknown, and all of a sudden they're there that we have to uh, deal with. But remember, don't forget, never take it for granted that we're, we're scot-free. There's always going to be a challenge, which is why we need good people. And you are one of those good people. You're a caring journalist. You've been a, a, a prosecutor helping in cases when I have been absolutely moved by uh, reading some of the cases that you took on to, to help bring justice to this community. You've devoted your career to public service in Denver, in Colorado, and now as a journalist, and you've been a journalist for many, many, many years, you are continuing to enlighten us and to to help us become more better informed and more aware of the challenges we have. So thank you, Craig, for what you do. Right, you're helping you. us to remember, to remember, and you're helping us not to forget. Well, 
you were giving me chills because I was thinking about my parents and I had my dad's yard site and my parents lived through World War II as kids in Denver. And they did pass that along to me. And now with all these Nazi references by Putin claiming genocide is being committed, I mean, how should Jewish people react to all of this? We should act with strength and outrage. Uh, uh, we should never stand passively when there is evil about. And it's not just about evil against Jews. Uh, we have to be partners with all those who are uh, struggling against injustice and hatred and bigotry and prejudice. And Jews should uh, and can, for the most part, um, uh, count themselves proud as being partners with uh, the uh, African Americans and with the, for gay rights and for other immigrant experiences as they come in, whether they're Asian or Hispanic, and uh, they should know that within the Jewish community they have a partner who has uh, a heart open to their experiences because we do remember, and we will not forget what it was like to be a stranger in a strange land. We remember, and we will not forget what it was like to have the bullies, the bigots pick on you and to try to blame things on you that all the ills of society are because of that immigrant group or that racial group or that um, um, minority, etc. cetera. Uh, Jews know what bullies do. They pick on the most vulnerable. And so let us continue to stand strong and proud with people, regardless of their race, regardless of their faith, regardless of their sexual orientation, and let us stand for what is right and what is fair, what is just, and what is kind. You know, I like to learn things, and I do, getting ready to talk to you. I did not really understand what the word Ashkenazi means. And it's such an odd word, especially ending with N-A-Z-I. But it means Jews of the German land, because when the Roman Empire uh, fell apart, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Jews made it to Germany, but then through bigotry and persecution, we had to move eastward. And eventually, we ended up in the Pale of Settlement, where Jews could survive. And it includes Poland, Ukraine, Moldova, all the countries we're talking about where the world is focused right now, that's our homeland, at least for my people, most Ashkenazi Jews. And yes, I care about all people, but when Putin keeps bringing up Nazis, it, it hits a special chord with Jewish people, I think. What's going on? Why is he perverting that phrase? And isn't that just... Because... Every time I hear the word Nazi, when Bibi Netanyahu said, I ran, they're like the Nazis, I mean, I perk up, and that's probably from my parents teaching me, be scared right. of Nazis, be alert to it. Um, just to me, uh, again, with well, this Nazi reference, I bet your parents raised you the same way. Sure. Well, Putin has taken a page right from Goebbels and the Nazi leadership, which was the big lie. Right. Uh, and, and that's why he, the first step he made was to totally take over the Russian media. He has uh, put a clamp on all independent reportage in Russia. They, he's rounded up all of, his, uh, all of the opposition politicians. He um, has put the uh, blanket over the information 
gathering in Russia so that the only narrative is his narrative. That's what the Nazis do. That's what tyrants do. They control information first, which is why the freedom of the press is so vital to a democracy, to freedom. uh, the, The tyrants, they control information first, and then they are in a position to tell the big lie. Because if there's no other sources of information, whatever garbage you spread, a significant part of the population will believe it. And if they don't believe it wholeheartedly, they'll believe it out of fear, saying it's not worth it to contend or to disagree with it. And Putin is doing that just like every other tyrant has done it. And I I know this is a little bit off topic. I think the Chinese are doing it too. That's why they control uh, their internet. They uh, have the same uh, fear of openness of information. And if you don't follow our line, if you dare to challenge what the party says, we're going to shut you down or freeze you out or jail you. And they do by the millions. And Putin has that same strategy. Um, he just uh, uh, has borrowed that from the Nazis and all the previous right. tyrants out there. So we need a free press. We need an open uh, source of information. We need uh, people to feel free to criticize and to disagree respectfully, but disagree with uh, with strength as well. And tyrants can't tolerate that. So he's been telling the big lie. He's told his people that it was Zelensky and his group that are the Nazis. Oh, goodness sakes. And um, while plenty of Russians believe it because they don't know any better, uh, there are others who realize that um, what could be a proud Russian nation is the thumb of um, an evil man. A tyrant. And, uh, but, but I think he's, he's lost it. And part of it is I don't think you can descend an iron curtain on Russia in the year 2022. There are smartphones. People talk to their families. And you, you can shut up all the information in the world, but you know where people get – their best information, just like your boys, from their dad, from their mom, and families talk, and soldiers talk, and I don't think he can suppress it the way he wants to. I know, but but Craig, I mean, some of these Ukrainian um, citizens, they call to uh, their their Russian right. Father, family, please, right? Father, you're bombing and, us, and, and, right? Right, and the, and and the parents say, "Oh, you must got it wrong. You you you're you're you're." you're uh, swallowing fake news because our, our, the Russians are only doing the good thing. It's like, again, people can be fooled. The Nazis learned this. You can fool the people. You can suppress freedom of information for your wicked uh, uh, agenda. And he's playing that out. He's using that playbook uh, to to the disaster of Ukraine, but it's opening our eyes to see what uh, uh, what evil really looks like, and it reminds us of how important it is to have the freedom of the press, uh, an independent, open-minded, critically thinking um, uh, uh, right. uh, group of journalists like yourself who are helping to preserve uh, the freedom of our country. Now you're sounding like Thomas Jefferson. What a great guy. And I'd like to quote Martin Luther King, a man of faith. He says the arc of history bends towards justice. And I think I'm seeing it. Poland, Ukraine. I mean, 
they were full of anti-Semites back in the day, but they've progressed. They've seen democracy. They've seen free speech. They've seen Zelensky and Poland. They are performing magnificently, whereas they cannot be proud of their actions in World War II to the extent they can be now. Yeah. No, they, they, they can't. Well, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said that uh, uh, that justice <laughs> will come. He did mention also, God help us, it's, it's really slowly bending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it bends slowly, surely, but slowly. We need to help it uh, speed along. There's too much injustice out there. Just uh, finally, I know your passion for Israel. I share it, but I don't have your knowledge or experience. Or, I, I mean, I, what I know is a thimble compared to you and Israel. Israel, what should they do with this conflict, Russia, Ukraine? Do you think they're handling it well? They're, they have a relationship with Russia. They kind of have to. Um, where's Israel in all of this? Well, Israel has its number one responsibility, just like the United States has, is the protection of its citizens. And um, unfortunately, uh, Israel is in a situation where there are Russian troops right on its borders. There are Russian troops who are in Syria uh, who are helping to man, because they sold uh, these anti-aircraft batteries and MiG fighters and other Russian military hardware. They sold that to the Syrians. The Russian advisors and troops are in part in Syria, so that uh, Israel has to walk a very fine line. We don't have um, uh, Russian troops right on our border. Um, uh, that's that's to our benefit. Israel does, and um, like like uh, uh, President Biden um, has to be cautious as to well, we can move some of these MIGs from Poland over to. Ukraine, and we can um, maybe send this equipment or those advisors to the Ukraine. Uh, he's cautious about that. He says, I don't want this to escalate. Russia is a nuclear um, nuclear power. Israel also cannot afford to escalate. It's a country of uh, only 7 million Jews there. I think there's uh, 8.5 million people totally in, in, in Israel um, with Russian troops right on its borders uh, that uh, and uh, neighbors that include Lebanon and Syria and uh, Iran, who are anything but friendly, who have openly spoken about the destruction of Israel. So the uh, Prime Minister Bennett, uh, he's being correctly cautious this, uh, sending aid to the Ukrainians, sending um uh, medical uh, provisions and hardware to the Ukrainians, but making sure that he doesn't cross the line so that the Russian troops on the Israel's border um, uh, ratchet up their activity. And it doesn't mean that the Russians would attack Israel, but rather uh, the Russians have been playing the role of the pacifier against Hezbollah and against the Iranian uh, crew and against the Syrian troops who are all agitating to uh, to attack Israel. And um, they're hiding behind the Russians in some uh, fashion, but also the Russians are holding them, Hezbollah and the other Islamic terrorists, uh, uh, holding them down. Uh, if the Russians um, remove that those restraints, then warfare will 
of course, break out uh, uh, all along the borders in Israel, and that causes even more death and destruction. So uh, everyone has to be uh, cautious of this. They're walking that fine line. Bennett is in Israel. Biden is in the United States. Um, and we're, you know, we're having that walk that tight line of, of, of being strong, of being um, uh, forceful, but also making sure that we don't escalate this to make it, uh, the situation worse. One Jewish man, Matt Grudge, very influential in the media, put out a big headline that another Jewish man, Prime Minister Bennett of Israel, told another Jewish man, Zelensky, that he should surrender. Now, there's been pushback on that story. You follow the media. Do you think there's truth to what he said? Did that really happen? I don't. Well, I don't think anyone would be able to know other than the parties uh, uh, directly. Bennett denies it. Um, that that uh, you know, especially in the early uh, parts of the day, uh, in which um, the, the, there were talk. Well, what can we do to accommodate Putin and the Russians so that there's not this military incursion, so that there won't be the destruction? Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt you go through various scenarios. The United States does this as well. Uh, we go through all kinds of military uh, practices and games in which we run through various scenarios. And um, making an accommodation is one of those scenarios. Chamberlain ran through one of those scenarios with Hitler. Uh, it was uh, Churchill almost alone in the parliament who said, this is ridiculous, this is terrible, you can't make an accommodation with, with a tyrant. Um, and Churchill turned out to be correct, but for a long time, people thought Churchill was absolutely out of his mind. How can you be against peace? How can you be against um, as those who are trying to avoid war, right? Uh, well, uh, Churchill was right, and uh, those who thought that they were uh, playing that game correctly were wrong. So it's uh, for historians to look back and talk about um, what were the better moves that they could have made. Um, trying to avoid war always seems to be the most prudent and the best policy, but that's not always possible. Um, but that they go through scenarios and, and games and possibilities, uh, they do it, uh, and they should do it uh, as a part of of, uh, of every calculation to say, what are my options? What will this play out to be? And one of them was, can we accommodate for Putin without the destruction? And the ultimate answer was no. So, Rabbi, my last question, gosh, this has been incredible. What are our options as Jewish men in Denver, Jewish people, non-Jewish people, anybody listening, probably in America, although you can listen all over the world, what can the average person do right now with this uh, Russia-Ukraine situation? Well, here's what I encourage my congregants to do and what our family has done. Uh, we know that there are 2 million Ukrainian refugees who are in Poland right now, and there are 500,000 in uh, Moldova and hundreds of thousands in, uh, throughout the rest of Eastern Europe and, and Western Europe. Um, uh, I send and encouraging our congregants to send donations to those organizations that are helping the refugees because they are 
the women and the children who are leaving Ukraine, their husbands, their sons, uh, their fathers are left behind to fight. These are not soldiers who are fighting these Russians. These are uh, just uh, normal citizens who are picking up guns and whatever Molotov cocktails against tanks, for goodness sakes. But the women and the children, where are they going? They have, um, in a foreign country, no resources where are they going to stay? Who's going to feed them? What about their medical care? What about the education for the children? So these uh, organizations, especially in Poland, have stepped up so beautifully. One of the ones that we support, uh, Temple Sinai, is the JCC in Krakow. There's also the uh, Joint Distribution Committee and other organizations. There are these and you have to do a little bit of vetting, make sure that you're giving it to an organization that for sure is supporting the um, uh, you know, a, a cause or an institution that is getting the money and the care right to the refugee and not just paying for more bureaucrats, uh, which is why I like to give it to the, the JCC in Krakow. Um, because That's it. I'm going to adopt that as our show. I'm going to make a contribution because I grew up at the Denver JCC. And if you tell me the JCC in Krakow is reputable and that the money will be well spent, I'll take it well, to the I, bank. Right. If you, actually, the head of the JCC in Krakow, uh, Jonathan Ornstein, he was on our Lunch and Learn last week, not, not yesterday, but the week before. And it's on our uh, our website and on our Facebook, Temple Sinai's uh, Facebook page. You can watch. Um, send me the link interview. and I'll post it. Wonderful. Good. I'll send that to you right after we're done here. But anyway, so it's not, that's not the only one. Uh, there are many other organizations. But I, I think instead of just shrying gavalt and wringing your hands and, and, and saying prayers, I think it's a time for action. And that's what Esther had to do. She said, you know what, I'm not going to just pray. I will pray, but I'm not just going to pray. I'm also going to act. And she had mustered the courage to do what was right. And we can send a donation. We can also um, make sure our political leaders know that this is an important issue and that we want to make sure that we're strong, that we have a strong American military. I know that's somewhat controversial for some, but I believe that it was, thank God that we have had leaders, Republican and Democrat, who have said we better have a strong military because there are Haymans out there. And uh, the uh, uh, President Biden has continued that. We have, um, we're strengthening our military. We have much more to do, but uh, thank God he's investing, uh, investing in this because that ensures freedom. And I don't want to give a can of horror, but we might be witnessing a modern-day miracle if Ukraine and Zelensky can survive. I'm hoping... You believe in miracles, don't you, Rabbi? 100%. And what about the Mashiach, the Messiah? Is he close to coming? I mean, this is feeling... Well, you well, tell that, me. Uh, we already uh, brought so up a light. Yeah. First of all, you, you put a gender on there. Uh, why, uh, why would you think it's a he? Uh, because right. I'm a, I, I, I grew up in a patriarchy, and I'm a sexist, <laughs> right. whatever. So no, I, right. I, when, when is uh, she arriving? Yeah, but, but, but to that, I don't think, uh, my personal belief is not of um, a single individual charismatic messiah of whatever gender, um, but rather of a messianic era, and that is people of different faiths, different nations, different genders who are inspired by goodness and who collectively fulfill that prediction, that hope, that dream that Isaiah said, in which 
swords will no longer uh, be lifted against nations. They will no longer learn war anymore, but rather will take those swords and turn them into plowshares, and will take those spears and turn them into pruning hooks, and we will devote ourselves to feeding each other, to nurturing each other, to loving each other. That's not by a single charismatic individual. That is the collective will of good people of different faiths, different nations, different ethnic backgrounds, different genders, saying we are inspired by the spirit of holiness that uh, fills this whole universe. All the universe is filled with God's glory, and whether you believe it as a Jew or as a Christian or as a Muslim or as a Buddhist, whatever, um, I believe that's what the messianic era will bring. We are able to do it. We just need to collectively be strong against the Hamans in every generation. I know a happy ending when I hear one. Thank you very much, Rabbi. You are perfect. Well, you're awesome. Craig, it's always a delight to be with you. I'll send you the, the link to... Uh, uh, the to the JCC crack on others. And someday you, you and I, let's play one-on-one basketball there. <laughs> you got a little height advantage on me. Uh, yeah, but you're younger, okay? So. <laughs> Not by much. Anyway, uh, best to Trish and the kids, and we wish you and all of your listeners a Shabbat. Best to Susan and your kids. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at MBLaw LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Right Wing Media Watch. Right Wing Media Watch. Gosh, it gives me no pleasure to keep putting on Right Wing Media Watch because it's frightening. I know some of these people... I think they're going down a really bad path. Before we get to Judge Bob Orr, who undresses Madison Cawthorn, the representative from his home state of North Carolina, let's remind everybody with this sound of Madison Cawthorn disparaging Volodymyr Zelensky, calling him a thug and Ukraine evil, corrupt, And then he brings in that right-wing talking point about uh, people being woke. ...send stinger missiles over to them so they can defend themselves better. But remember that Zelensky is a thug. Remember that the Ukrainian government is incredibly corrupt and it is incredibly evil and it has been pushing woke ideologies and really there's the new woke world. 
So Madison Cawthorn is a bad guy. You are going to learn more about him and his North Carolina district. But I want to play for you the words of President Zelensky to the United States Congress this week. It was magnificent, awe-inspiring, and here, without further ado, is the way Volodymyr Zelensky ended his appeal to Congress and most directly to President Joe Biden. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Gosh, we need peace, but we will never have it until we start confronting those people in our midst who are Amalekites, bullies, bad people like Nick Fuentes and his Groiper movement, neo-Nazis, white power people. It's not hidden. We know who Nick Fuentes is. I had a an epic confrontation with Michelle Malkin, who declared back in 2019 that she was the mother of the Groypers, and she loved these white power people. And Nick Fuentes, here he is praising Madison Cawthorn for calling Zelensky a thug. I was going to say, how about Madison Cawthorn? Can we get an M in chat for Madison Cawthorn? Did you see this latest development? I put it in my telegram the other day. But he really pleasantly surprised me. I've been critical of Madison Cawthorn. You know that. And um, I've been skeptical about a lot of the things that he's said and done since getting into Congress, like divorcing his wife after eight months. But he put out a statement the other day where he said Zelensky is a thug. He said Zelensky's a dirtbag. I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something like Zelensky's a... He's a Western dirtbag, and he'll be growled into the heel of the new czar Putin. Something He said something to that effect, something like that. And I saw this clip, and I was like, you know, say what you will about Madison, but that was a really brave and bold thing to say. That was really fresh and a bold new flavor, really crisp, and I really love to hear that. I was really pleasantly surprised. So we have this white power movement. Michelle Malkin's big part of it. They have candidates up in Idaho, of course, a lady named Janice McKeachin, M-C-G-E-A-C-H-I-N, McGeechin. She's a friend of Michelle Malk, and you can find that out on social media. And she spoke at that Nick Fuentes group. So did Marjorie Taylor Greene, as documented a while ago. But now we have this other candidate, sucking up to Fuentes and once again saying, who? I don't know Nick Fuentes. How would I know him? How about a Google search? How about Wikipedia? How about listening to my podcast? Are you familiar with who puts this event on? Like Nick Fuentes? I don't, I don't know who he is. I don't, I've never met him. I don't know who he is. Did you not look into it before you decided to say okay? Like to find out, I mean, his name is on it. Well, you know what, Nick Fuentes, I don't, as I said, I don't know him, I do, he, he's never, I've never met him, I don't know, you know, what, what is, what he's, everything that he says or doesn't say is not, uh, does not reflect on who I am. And now here is when it gets sad, because Stephen Tubbs was a guy who I used to like, I used to respect, but he's turned into a white power dude, and he pals around with Michelle Malkin. 
who had not been on that Denver Trump station, 710 KNUS, for uh, a couple of years as they bring up. But now Tubbs has brought her back. The guy, Tubbs, is on a vendetta against Beth McCann, Denver DA. That relates to his own criminal prosecution. Tubbs has been in trouble with the law, well, more than a few times. And uh, now Tubbs takes out his animosity on prosecutors, more specifically with Beth McCann, the DA, and he calls her all sorts of obscene names. And now he has a partner in doing that, Michelle Malkin. But do you think he'd ask a hard question of her about her association with the Groypers, about the fact that she spread the big lie and she's getting sued, along with Randy Corcoran, 710 KNUS, the Trump campaign, Rudy Giuliani in the case of Coomer v. Malkin et al. That's pending in Denver District Court. No, you won't get a question by the so-called newsman Tubbs. Instead, you will get butting up with Malkin as they decry the shooting of Lee Keltner and the defendant Doloff, the case was dismissed. Beth McCann determined what's obvious, that she can't disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. The man who got shot, poor Mr. Keltner, he not only had bear spray, but it turned out he had a firearm on his person. He didn't display it, but he did say words suggesting to Doloff that he was going to mess him up, or words nastier than that. And when Beth McCann added it up, she realized that she did not have a good faith way of proving that case beyond reasonable doubt, and she had an ethical responsibility to dismiss it at that point. Now, why did she arrest Olaf in the first place? Well, that's a good question, fairly debated. Was it political correctness to keep a bad situation from getting worse? I don't know. But I do know that when you have Malkin and Tubbs on together, there's some revisionist history as these anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers, anti-government, white power types have a conversation on Wednesday of this week. Michelle Malkin returns to Denver Trump Radio. Midway through the 5 o'clock hour. Good evening, friends. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Stephen Tubbs. We've got uh, Michelle Malkin coming up, and I find this interesting. And, in fact, let's just, we'll get right to it. Michelle Malkin joins us. And, friend, it has been way too long. I think pre-pandemic, welcome. I hope you guys are all great with your family, and nice to have you back on the show. Oh, thanks for having me back, Stefan. We're persisting and resisting and <laughs> surviving yeah. like so many. <laughs> yeah. You know what I find? And the reason why I wanted to just um, forget me setting things up. Uh, so yeah. I, I shared uh, a link to your latest column that came out today on Twitter. So during this last commercial break, I attempted to do the very same thing on this show's Facebook page. And let me tell you what came up. And you may know this already. Uh, and I quote, you can't share this link. Your content couldn't be shared because this link goes against our community standards. Wow. Welcome to present day censorship and Facebook deciding what is appropriate and what meets current community standards. This probably doesn't surprise you. 
It doesn't, and uh, pretty much all of the content now that I produce for my syndicated column, for my individual blog on social media is deemed in violation of the community standards of Silicon Valley. I've been writing my syndicated column since 1999. I've never had a problem posting it, but you cannot share that article, which is syndicated to... Uh, at least 100 news outlets and Mm. websites uh, and has been uh, for more than a quarter century now uh, because I guess the truth is too dangerous for these people. (laughs) Just ridiculous. (laughs) Well, you reached out, and, you know, I'm so glad to have you back on the show. And now Tubbs displays his love of Michelle Malkin, who he doesn't ask, but why aren't you on uh, Twitter? Well, she is on Twitter, but why is your stuff not something that can be circulated without acknowledging her role in the big lie or anything like that? It's all a conspiracy against them. But when somebody gets kicked off of social media, shouldn't there be more of an inquiry by the people who are associated? I heard about Kirk Woodland, my old producer, Stephen Tubbs, executive producer. He gave... Woodland an on-air role, and we would periodically learn that Woodland had been kicked off Twitter, and it turns out there was a good reason, because Woodland had these neo-Nazi tendencies, and he adored Adolf Hitler as he posted on other social media sites when he got kicked off of Twitter, and eventually it all came out. But did we ever hear Tubbs do any introspection? about his association with the white power guy, Kirk Whitland. No, they were buddies. They were buddies in bashing me for putting down Donald Trump. And now Tubbs is buddies with Michelle Bonkin because they have a shared disgust for Beth McCann. Listen to these two go on. And every decent law-abiding Coloradan mm-hmm. in this state should feel the same way. Uh, This has been a long ordeal, uh, and we're dealing with a self-described progressive prosecutor who is among an entire phalanx, galaxy, uh, an army of similarly-minded, ideological prosecutors who are not committed to justice for all, but justice for some. Amen. The great Michelle Malkin is our guest. The great Michelle Malkin. Well, Nick Fuentes thinks she's great. The white power movement thinks that Michelle Malkin is great. Stephen Tubbs thinks she's great. And apparently so does Kelly Michaels, the guy who runs 710 KUS programming and not a good person, as displayed right here. Because here is Kelly Michaels. That's not his real name. That's his radio name. Anyway, he's on with Stephen Tubbs, these great news radio people, and they're talking about the change of the name of Mount Evans here on the Front Range in Colorado. The Clear Creek County Commission has decided to recommend changing it to Mount Blue Sky because Governor Evans was a major part of the Sand Creek Massacre. And enlightened people don't honor massacre makers. It's just not right to massacre innocent people. We're seeing that with Putin in Ukraine and 
We need to have our mountains reflect people we want to give glory to, and we don't want to give glory to Evans. Now, there's an argument that it's been there so long we should keep it, but you're not going to get an intellectual argument like that. All you are going to get is the laughter, the belittling laughter that, oh, those woke people, you know how those libs are. We're going to keep calling it Mount Evans till the day we die because America was great back then and it's not great now as we re-examine history. Listen to the condescension and the laughter and see what's wrong with Denver Trump Radio. It's all on display. Stephen Tubbs has gone downhill. Sad to say, gives me no pleasure. But listen to him and Kelly Michaels just act like, well, you know what? There's no good argument here. Those people on the left, all they need is belittling. Clear Creek County commissioners making a decision for their community, we disrespect that. We know the right way. It's the Donald Trump way. That's why it's Denver Trump Radio to this community's detriment. You know, you look off to the West and, you know, when you move to Colorado, you know, Kelly Michaels, you are not a Colorado native, nor am I, you know. And let me ask you just real quick. Um, have you in the past used, as far as a navigation tool, you've used the Rocky Mountains? Well, there's the mountains, so that's West. Sure. Of course. They're right there. There they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, there's one of those mountains called, at least for now, Mount Evans. We talked about this last week. Well, that commission, I believe, in Clear Creek County has made its official recommendation. Yes, they have. <laughs> Kelly, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Drum roll. Because we believe in revisionist history, and if you don't remember it, if you don't talk about it, if you don't say a name, then it never happened. They recommend now to the state of Colorado that Mount Evans be called Mount Blue Sky. <laughs> of course they do. And that concludes another episode of Right Wing Media Watch. Thanks for listening. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined, it's all set up. So there's, it's like the, the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form 
and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to LLC.com And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey, maybe you know my voice and me from the first half of my career when I was Denver prosecutor. Or maybe you know me from my time on the radio and now on my podcast. But my real job for several decades now has been to fight in the civil arena for victims of crimes. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. If your life has been damaged through the misconduct of others, there's a great new Colorado law and it's for you. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960 to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Let's expose the truth. Let's get you some justice. Let me be your voice for a confidential consultation. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Hello, Troubadour. Hi, Craig. Happy new podcast, episode 88. Can you believe it? Wow, that's a lot of podcasts. That's a lot of Troubadour songs, and you've delivered sensationally once again. Some days it is dedicated to what and why for this week. Well, this week we'll, we'll dedicate that song to all the refugees and others who are suffering in Ukraine. Some days just start out bad, and those guys have had a hellish March, end of February. And uh, before we get there, let's talk about last week. St. Patrick's Day, did you get drunk? No, I I usually uh, don't get drunk on St. Patrick's Day. But it was Purim, too, and that's a drinking festival. I, and you know, I didn't know it was a drinking festival. I I, I remember the holiday as a, from a ch- as as a child, and with with Queen Esther and the Gregor, like you so you called it, you corrected Gregor. my pronouncing. Gregor, where you you have a little noise making thing that for what purpose? Do it. It's uh, I think it's kind of a celebration of, of the the you know the end of the end uh, of Haman, right? Haman, who? Who, was the, who did you say? Haman. There. You <laughs> I have my Gregor. We there try to go. drown Haman. out his name. You drown out his name, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I have Rabbi Rhines who taught us about the connection of Putin to Haman in every generation. Can you believe it? We always heard that, but now it's true. There's something really wrong about some human beings, and it's the Amalekites. Have you ever heard that word, the Amalekites? I have not. What didn't? I don't think we've ever done Passover together, but when you sing Chad Gad Ya, mm-hmm. right? And right. You, the only kid, the song about the only kid, kid being right. a goat. A, a cat who or gets a, eaten by a cat, who gets eaten by a dog, who gets hit by a stick that gets consumed in the fire, and the water puts out the fire, the cow drinks the water, and then the cow gets the shochet, slaughtered, and then 
in between the Shochet and God, do you remember who there is? The, the angel evil? of death. Right, and what's the name? The name of the angel of death? Yeah, in Hebrew. I don't know. Amalachamovitz. Okay. Amalachamovitz. Sounds scary to me. Yes, it's terrible. And so that's Amalek. That's what I talked about with the rabbis. So I pretty much exhausted a lot of my Jewish knowledge, but I have knowledge of your songs, and this is one of your best. What inspired it for you, actually? It wasn't about Ukraine then. No. Why were you writing about some days just start out bad? And it starts with the way you wake up. I woke up in a great mood because I was interviewing you and Rabbi Rhines. But uh, some days you wake up on the bad side of the bed. It's true. And actually, I wrote this song. and It, it has nothing to do with, uh, with, 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 a, uh, with, with the situation in Ukraine or any other situation. It actually, I wrote it after a hand accident that I had, a pretty severe hand accident. And um, I just thought about uh, some days are just awful. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, and you came back. That's wonderful, and uh, it's interesting because the one way it doesn't fit is you blamed yourself. Yes, and uh, it was a bad ladder, and right, thank right. God you're okay. But you have a lot of biblical references in there. Did you notice? You'll have to remind me of that. You got the protagonist falling from the garden gate, right? Mm-hmm. What garden? Well, it was the garden gate of my of my peace, of my serenity, and uh, that's the 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 allegory. Oh, there. I see. Mm-hmm. I was thinking Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. but then well, you have an Exodus reference. Remember that? Um, you are wandering through the wilderness. Yep. 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 You don't realize how much those Hebrew school lessons still <laughs> stick with you. But it's the music that's fantastic. There's a wild guitar solo in there. Is that you? Of course. That's me. I don't remember any song where you go crazy like that on Um, the guitar. That one I was wailing a little bit, but uh, I hope in this next project I'll have some others for you. There's a lot of good stuff. You reference history, dreams, pushing away reality. We do dedicate this song to the Ukrainian refugees And listen for the part where you, again, get spiritual because you talk about my spirit's free. Right. As long as you have your spirit, your ruach, your inner drive. Right, You can keep going. That's the important, that's what I was trying to to bring across because, you know, this was relatively minor suffering, but it was suffering on my part. And I knew the day would come when when I'd be okay. Some Days by Dave Gunders, our troubadour. Thank you, troubadour. Thanks, Craig. Open my eyes to the dawn of another day. Took a moment to realize nothing.
It's better everything history If you lead me to my dreams I can push away reality And if I This mess. I'm wandering around in a wilderness. Wait a minute, don't seem right. It's a long, cold journey through the night. honor to welcome his honor, Judge Bob Orr, to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. This is the place where prominent attorneys come to relax, tell war stories, and kick around current events. Your Honor, Bob Orr, thanks a lot for coming on my podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I've got lots of war stories to tell. <laughs> I bet you do. Well, let's introduce you first to my crowd bunch of Colorado people, but I have people all over the country listening, and uh, I have to tell you, I have a sister who lived for a while in Hendersonville, so I know a little about North Carolina, but I mean just a little. Well, I grew up in Hendersonville. I, I, I consider that uh, my home, even though I don't live there now. And And so you focus your work in North Carolina. You're a man of considerable prominence. I call you judge for a reason. I should probably call you justice because you are on the North Carolina Supreme Court. What's the proper way to refer to you? Well, technically justice works. I, I was also on the Court of Appeals prior to being on the Supreme Court. And of course, we're referred to as judge there. And, you know, I answer to Bob, I answer to most anything. So, <laughs> Anything you want to call me, Craig, I'm comfortable with. 
All right, fantastic. Um, you know what I want to do, Judge? Let me just, how's your time today? Uh, pretty good. I may start getting hungry in a little while, but um, I'll, I'll survive. All right, fantastic. Tell us first about your career in the law. Why did you choose to be a lawyer? Was it in your family? No, actually, uh, I was a radio, TV, motion picture major in college with aspirations of becoming a sports announcer and ended up my freshman year at UNC getting an internship with the news department covering the legislature. And I confess my experience over the next four years uh, doing that on a part-time basis while going to college uh, really stimulated and generated my interest in both uh, the law and politics. And so after I went in the Army, um, I, I decided to make make a different uh, change of careers in the sense of uh, I got out of the broadcast business and went to law school after I was uh, discharged from the Army. Great. And I love your background, and we are going to get to all sorts of topics, but I admire you because you've made some changes in your politics, maybe not in your politics, but in recognizing that uh, the political parties have changed. Uh, I know you sought office and were how many times elected statewide in North Carolina? I was elected four times statewide. Uh, I, I lost my first judicial race uh, in 1986. I was appointed to the Court of Appeals in September by Governor Jim Martin and, you know, realistically trying to put together a statewide campaign in two years was, or in two months, or was pretty impractical. And uh, at that time, no Republican had been elected to a statewide judgeship since 1896. So it, it was not considered a long-term uh, situation, but, and we all lost, but fortunately there was Another seat opened up on the Court of Appeals as a result of the election. Governor Martin reappointed me. And, and since I'm somewhat of a competitive soul and don't enjoy losing, uh, I set out over the course of literally the next two years to figure out how an obscure Republican candidate for the Court of Appeals could win a statewide election. And, you know, fortunately, uh, uh, it, it worked out, and so I was elected to the Court of Appeals in 88 and re-elected in 92, then ran for the Supreme Court in 94 and was elected and was re-elected in 2002. So four, four, four wins out of five on the judicial statewide front. As a proud Republican. Yes, it was. Uh, when, when I was elected in 1988, I was the first Republican elected statewide to a judgeship since 1896, as I mentioned. And uh, at, at that point in time, North Carolina was pretty solidly uh, a one-party state, and that party was the Democrat Party. And so uh, I saw my efforts over the years in politics as trying to build a viable two-party system in the state. And uh, for a variety of reasons, um, uh, was comfortable doing so as a member of the Republican Party. 
Right. Although the Democrat Party in, and I should say Democratic Party, that's kind of a Republican talking point to just (laughs) bite it off right there. The Democratic Party in North Carolina was Jesse Helms, so he wasn't uh, exactly Elizabeth Warren. Well, uh, Helms was a Democrat up until the early 70s, and he switched to the Republican Party right. in in 1972 and won his first Senate race uh, then and obviously became a, an institution. And, you know, as you'll recall, the Nixon uh, Southern strategy was to bring in uh, sort of very conservative Democrats into the Republican Party, and uh, Helms sort of led that way in North Carolina, which which created some, some interesting um, inter-party fights between the Helms' very conservative wing and what we always referred to as the old traditional wing of the Republican Party that uh, literally went back to uh, the period right after the Civil War. Yeah, it gets complicated. And we come from similar states. Colorado has bounced back and forth. Now we're pretty darn blue, and Donald Trump yeah. is toxic here. North Carolina's bounced around, but I get the bad feeling Trump's not as toxic there. We also have interesting dynamics in that uh, the western part of the state's different than uh the front range here in Colorado, and and you have some of that going in North Carolina, right? Yeah, historically, uh, the mountains in the western part of the state <clears throat> was the really the the main pocket of Republican support, and that goes all the way back to the Civil War. And I, I tell the story: my great grandfather Robert Franklin Orr was uh, conscripted against his wishes into the Confederate Army, and uh, fled over the mountains with 80 other men and joined the Union Army and said he'd fight his way back. And uh, so Wait, what's his Civil name War, again? Robert Franklin Orr. And love he was that a man. farmer in Henderson County. Hmm? I love that man. Because, I mean, yeah. we're going to get to Russia, and, and I'm hoping a lot of Russian soldiers are doing that very thing. I and mean, when you're fighting for a bad cause... Humans yeah. can think, you know, that's that's the incredible thing. You know, soldiers aren't robots, not yet. Anyway, I yeah. just wanna well, I just wanted to stop and say how much I admire Robert Franklin Orr, who had the courage to uh change his side and, and, and it got passed on to you. Keep going. I love this history. Yeah, I, actually I, I tell folks I, I come by my Republican roots honestly in the sense that uh, you know, he came back after the Civil War to uh, Henderson County, Western North Carolina, and uh, was a Lincoln Republican. And it was sort of passed down on my father's side that we were we would be involved in in Republican politics. And uh, since we get to get to uh, uh, tell tell stories on this, uh, I uh, uh, want to tell the story of my freshman year in in high school when I was at the, uh, in an English class, my teacher was a very strong Democrat and, uh, she got mad at me and said, Bob, or you're a scalawag, just like the rest of your family. 
and and she knew <laughs> which kids in the class came out of Republican families because, of course, uh, Scalawag was a Southerner who had fought for the Union, and uh, so that was sort of my first indoctrination to the historical uh, context of politics in Western North Carolina. Now that would have been in the fifties, if I've got your bio right. You graduated yeah, early, high school early sixties. No, no, but, but when, when did you when did you graduate high school? Uh, 64. All right. So I graduated in 74. That's why you're a senior. That's why I'm going to keep calling you judge because I respect (laughs) you and your wisdom. And what I like about you is that you've uh, been on a political journey, starting with Robert Franklin Orr. I mean, in terms of party politics, you're going along solid as a Republican. But just to advance the story, because... You know, I could talk all day about the propriety of people electing judges, stuff like that. But I want to get to what's happening now because you are making a difference. I don't care if you did graduate in 64 or 74. You're podcasting. You're going on media. You're blogging. You are dedicated to saving America and North Carolina. Do I have it correct about you, Judge Orr? Well, you're you're very generous. I, I'm doing my small part. I I believe we're at very uh, uh, very dangerous times in our country, and uh, my I, I I confess, you know, over the years after I'd retired from the court and was doing other other things legally, I became less and less enamored with where the Republican Party was going, and then. Donald Trump shows up, and I was horrified. And it only went from bad to worse. Um, I was a John Kasich delegate to the National Convention in 2016 with the hope that somehow Kasich could pull off a miracle in Cleveland at the convention. And when I was interviewed by a reporter and and asked whether uh, I would support Trump, as the Republican nominee, I I said politely no under no circumstances and that I thought he was a danger to the country and a danger to the Republican Party. And that evening, my credentials for the convention were pulled. And so uh, I packed my bags and went home and decided I would do everything I could to work against Donald Trump and, you know, went through the pain and suffering of his four years as president and uh but stayed stayed a republican despite being asked by the chairman of the party at the time if i would switch to unaffiliated because i was causing him all this all these problems as a registered republican opposing uh trump uh but i i stayed registered as a republican until right after january 6th and i was so horrified by what I saw that, you know, it was it was clear that I could not in good conscience continue to be affiliated with the Republican Party. So, Well, God bless you for that. Everybody has their breaking point with Trump. And if you don't, then you better look in the mirror. Who are you? Why are you doing this? That's my attitude. But in some respects, you jumped off the Trump train far earlier than I did. But I would not put my name down as Republican. I'm proudly unaffiliated almost all my life. I, I like to yeah. call them as I see them. And I think 
that's the way the justice system should work. And I don't think DAs and judges and partisan politics really benefits anybody, but that's a tangent. I'm just wondering, what was the breaking point for you with Donald Trump? It had to be something during the campaign. Yeah, I, I think early on when he made that comment about Senator McCain and uh, disrespected his his service to the country in the military and as a prisoner of war, uh, you know, I'm a product of the Vietnam era. Uh, even though I did not go to Vietnam, I was in the service for three years during that period of time. And, you know, I, I saw John McCain as a hero, both as a politician, but more importantly, as an American and a veteran. And for a guy running to be the Republican nominee of uh, uh, for president, to make those derogatory comments about Senator McCain, it was like, you know, I mean, this guy's the worst of the worst. And of course, it just got worse. I mean, every time you think you could get Trump could go no lower, he went lower. And, uh, uh, and yeah, what this, I said back this at, day. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, I mean, and what I said at the convention about him being a danger to the country and a danger to the Republican Party, I think, has been. Uh, fulfilled in spades. I mean, you know, uh, the the problems that we have now with the Republican Party and the problems, a lot of the problems uh, in this division uh, in in the country, I think, can directly be related to uh, Trump and and how how he's conducted himself. Right. Stuart Stevens wrote that book that it was all a lie or words to that effect. Yeah, he was a yeah, stalwart yeah. Republican. I mean, you have to look again, but I'm kicking myself because I'm thinking, Craig, why didn't you say Trump is is out, out as a candidate once he did that to McCain? Maybe it's because I never served in the military the way you did. It was Charlottesville that got to me with those guys chanting Jews will not replace this. And the president said, you know, good people on both sides. And he went back and forth and all that bullshit. And I can say that on my podcast. So that was my (laughs) breaking point. And and really, I'd say it's one of the weakest things in my life that I didn't react sooner when he called the judge, you know, out for being a Mexican heritage on the Trump University broadcast. I should have broken right then. It's it's kind of ridiculous, but my attitude is I, I don't care what the breaking point is, and you're welcome right now. What we need really is just like uh, Robert Franklin or we need people to switch sides, and I've done it, you've done it, because uh, I did vote for Trump in 2016. I'm embarrassed to say that. And then uh, after Charlottesville, I was in the belly of the beast on Denver Trump radio. <laughs> they let it go yeah. for a while. But what the Ukrainian shakedown impeachment, I had to speak out and they did not like that. And boy, are we back to that point. But I never had anything quite like your Cleveland experience. What was that like? Were people shoving cameras in your face? And did you say it loud and say it proud? How did it go? <laughs> Well, it it really was a follow-up to an interview I'd done with the uh, local media here back during the primary, you know, when I was backing Kasich. And 
you know, I was asked then, would I support Trump? And I, I, I said, no, I, you know, I'm not going to support Donald Trump under any circumstance. And uh, so then we got to Cleveland, one of the local television reporters was up there and he wanted to do an interview. So I said, fine. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about the convention experience and then, and then he said, well, you've previously been quoted as saying you won't support Donald Trump. He's clearly going to be the nominee. Uh, will you support him now? And, you know, I mean, it was just a pretty pretty easy, straightforward answer. I, I knew there would be folks that weren't happy with it, but um, I wasn't particularly worried about that. But I, I will say, going back to your, your comment, Craig, about the uh, voting for Trump in 2016, I had voted – for every single Republican candidate for president since Richard Nixon in 1968 <laughs> until 2016. And I'm no fan of the Clintons, <laughs> and it pained me greatly uh, that after all those years of, you know, voting for Nixon, Ford, Reagan, Bushes, Romney, McCain, you know, right on, you, right on up, you know, I, I just I couldn't bring myself to do it. And, you know, and I felt that as many problems as I had with uh, Senator Clinton, I, I felt like she was less of a danger or posed less of a danger to the country than, than Trump did. So I had uh, my hesitations about Hillary. Big ones. Yeah. And uh, I feel yeah. like I was manipulated a bit. Uh, by myself, by media. But uh, obviously you had the smarter, better vote. But I thought that Trump might be sort of a New York City kind of Republican. I'm old enough to remember John Lindsay, right? And he, yeah, sure. and, and he had been uh, moderate on social issues. I thought he could be reasonable on gun issues. But he decided to govern for the total conservative base, and boy, did he deliver on the culture issues. And now the Republican Party seems to be owned lock, stock, and barrel by Donald J. Trump as we talk in mid-March uh, 2022. Yeah, it really is not the Republican Party. It's it's Trump's party. I mean, uh, the the structure from the top to the bottom uh, is is really filled consistently with with total Trump loyalists, and and you see what happens uh, at the national or local level if Republicans aren't willing to play ball. Liz Cheney, you know Adam Kinzinger, folks like that, um, uh, who just simply uh, isn't that Nancy we're not Mace? Willing to go is, along. Nancy and then Mace, they, is Nancy Mays from Carolina? Is it South Carolina, North Carolina? They kind of run together. Oh, no, she's South Carolina. She's from South Carolina. Anyway, yeah. Trump just ripped her yeah. because anybody who votes against him, if you're not loyal, you are done. I, I, I just want to go back to Cleveland for a second because you're known all yeah. around North Carolina. What did your fellow convention delegates think of you from North Carolina? Were they mad at you? Was it heated? <laughs> you know, actually, it... You know, they, they weren't around when I did the interview, uh, and so it was broadcast that night, and obviously some people had called the executive director of the party and the the, the chairman and said, you got to do something about or. So then they sent the email saying to my uh, 
my uh, my credentials were being held unless I came and did did a mea culpa with the the chairman, and you know I just wasn't going to do it, and uh, and it was obvious that Kasich was not going to have any success in in thwarting the Trump uh, nomination, and so I just got on a plane the next day and went back to North Carolina. I mean. So I really didn't. I really didn't see very many people. I right. was staying way the heck outside of Cleveland. And, that, that's uh, what Kasich did, and he was the governor of Ohio. That should have been a tip yeah. off. I like John yeah. Kasich too. Yeah, he's he, he's you know he seemed like a good leader, and I, I respect your judgment so much. But I worry about your area of the country. I worry about the old South. That seems to be the base for Donald Trump, Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina, little North Carolina. And what's going on with the old South? Is the Civil War over? Or are you guys still fighting the lost cause? What's up? Well, there's certainly elements, particularly in the deep South and in the more rural areas that that still are clinging to uh, you know, shall we say the long-standing regionalism and and, and racial prejudices, but the, the South is is growing population-wise exponentially because we're getting we're getting people from all over the country moving here. I mean, it's just North Carolina picked up an extra congressional seat uh, this go round just because of the the huge growth, and so. Uh, we're becoming more of a purple state, albeit I think we'll always be relatively conservative. But, you know, you go down in the deep south, I mean, there are a lot of racial uh, antagonisms. And, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's been a long history of that, obviously, in the south and and even in, in the north. Um, so... Yeah, Trump just played on people's prejudices, on their fears, on their worst instincts, and regrettably, so many Republican politicians have seen that as a recipe for success, and so they're going along, refusing to to stand up and and call him out and call others out for, you know, just outrageous conduct and, and, and comments and it's it is really you know it may just is pretty pretty disheartening and depressing to see an institution like the Republican Party just completely uh, go go off the deep end uh, and you know and Pursue these, but why don't more people have guts like you and your uh, ancestor, Robert Franklin Orr, when something is so clearly wrong, why don't they speak out, yell out, do a podcast, go on cable TV the way you have, and you are a leader. You ran for governor of North Carolina, as mentioned. You've won statewide office several times. You're uh, a bigwig. You put your reputation on the line, and... uh, I'm wandering around here in Colorado. Bill Owens, where where have you been? Bob O'Prey, reasonable guys. Hank Brown, former senator. Why aren't you speaking up? You know the top hierarchy of Republican circles in North Carolina. Are you one of the few people speaking up, or are there others willing to join you? Well, 
Well, candidly, there aren't a lot. There were three county commissioners who were Republicans up in a small mountain county, Transylvania, uh, Brevard's the county seat. They're not too far from Asheville and Hendersonville. Uh, and this was back, uh, gosh, over two years ago. And, and these three Republican county commissioners were catching so much abuse from Republicans about, you know, not uh, not pursuing these sort of raw ideological issues at the local level that uh, that they left the party. So, I mean, there are people doing that. Unfortunately, too many people in elective office or wanting to serve in elective office are afraid of alienating the Trump base because if you lose that vote. You know, maybe there's not enough for them to uh, be reelected or, or, or get elected. And so, uh, you know, it's it's power over principle, in my opinion. I mean, they're they're more concerned about retaining or getting power uh, than, you know, at least. Right. I, I, I get that. I, I get that for somebody who has a job dependent on them. Because it sounds like these commissioners had to step down. They lost their job when they spoke out against Trump. Am I right? Well, they they ran as unaffiliated and all lost. Right. You know, so, 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 so I get that. But but what about who would you run against? McCrory? What's his name? Dad? Yeah, McCrory, yeah, McCrory was in. I, when I got in the primary, Pat was not in the race. And I, I was thinking that maybe my my good ideas would overcome my lack of finances, <laughs> which was not a very smart political decision because, unfortunately, uh, the money drives things. But then McCrory got in the race and sort of sucked up all the um, the money and, and won that. My question about Pat McCrory is, is that guy still competing for office? Is that why he can't speak out? Or I just yeah, wonder. Yeah, Go ahead. Well, he he's in a three-way, well, four-way primary. I, I mean, then there's some French candidates, but in the uh, uh, in the primary, one a North Carolina congressman named Ted Budd secured Trump's endorsement early on, and then the club for growth is. Trump-leaning pack out of D.C. has spent, I mean, they literally have spent around $10 million in negative false ads against McCrory trying to get him beaten in the primary. But, you know, Pat's still having to kind of, you know, walk that fine line, even though he's being attacked by by Trump people and Trump money. Uh, he still doesn't feel like he can you know, sort of overtly oppose Trump. Yeah, I mean, it's just that that strange political hold that Trump has over uh, the people running for office on the Republican ticket. You just, if, if you're opposed to Trump, you're not going to win a primary. Where are the Bushes? I know George P. Bush just lost uh, in Texas. I don't think he's got a future anymore. Uh, so why don't the Bushes speak out, or would it even matter? Uh, you know, I, I think it would help some, but I, I just think that, you know, 
President Bush has been, um, you know, reluctant to just kind of jump into the fray. I mean, he's, I don't think anybody has any doubts about where the Bush family stands when it comes to Trump. But I, but for whatever reason, I think he figures he's done his, his time, um, as president and, uh, he's just not going to wade into the political wars anymore. Um, and, you know, it, it, it really needs to be the, you know, the, the elected Republican country, um, you say it, it so, really needs to be the Republican elected leaders leading the way. You know, I, I feel like people like um, uh, Romney need to need to make a clean break with Trump instead of trying to, you know, dance around it. You know, I mean, even, you know, Governor Hogan of Maryland, the, the so-called moderate Republicans, uh, I mean, they're it's kind of like, okay, he's not president now. We'll just kind of ignore him. Uh, and yet, you know, we see the kinds of, of activities that Trump's still engaged in and, and his loyalist, you know, you had Madison Cawthorn, the 26 year old congressman. Oh, from we're going to get Carolina. to Madison, but let's not yeah. leave Romney. Cause I have some hope for him, but I'd like to see him pick up the pace. The guy called out Russia and I see a connection there. We'll get to that. But Mitt Romney did stand up this last week. He went to a Liz Cheney fundraiser, and right, he spoke right. powerfully condemning the Cawthorns and uh, that wing of the party. Let's get right to it, because I admire you so much, Judge Orr, because unlike the Bushes, who should get in the fray, America is at stake. You're in it, and I'm in it. And you are targeting it at one of the all-time Trumpsters, David Madison Cawthorn. And I think that's beautiful because you care about North Carolina, policing your own area. I focus a lot on Lauren Boebert, who comes from yeah. Colorado. And we have to call these people out, expose these people. And it's pretty darn entertaining to talk about Madison Cawthorn. That's why you have a <laughs> podcast called... The battle for NC-14, which has changed its name a time or two, because you are targeting Cawthorn, and I love it. Yeah, well, it's actually back to the battle for NC-11. Oh, it's 11 I mean, it, again. It is, it, yeah, yeah, well, it started as 11, then it went to 14, then with the last round of maps, it ended up back at 11. So from a podcast standpoint, it's been chaotic. Uh, we have a website uh battle4nc11.com uh, with the four being the number four. And my, my poor wife who has done the the uh, uh, the website for me, I mean, you know, candidates, you know, Cawthorn was in, Cawthorn moved to another district, now Cawthorn's back, the numbers were changing. I mean, it's been chaos. Uh, but uh, Why don't you uh, just call it the battle to defeat Madison Cawthorn? Well, if I'd known all the number changes were going to take place at the beginning, uh, I would have. Why, why, why are you picking on this poor disabled man? <laughs> well, I'm not picking on him. He's actually done more damage to his campaign than I could ever do. Um, you know, between 
you know, asinine statements that he makes, you know, calling Zelensky a thug in the, the country of Ukraine corrupt. Uh, he's got, he just got stopped recently for driving with a revoked driver's license. He's had two or three high speeding, um, uh, tickets that, that are out there. You know, he, he abandoned the district back about three months ago, uh, looking for more favorable, uh, a more favorable district in a bigger media market. And then when that district, uh, got sort of pulled out from, uh, under him, he jumped back in the district now. So, uh, I mean, he, he has done more to hurt himself than, than anything I could ever say or do. Um, but it sure does make for a, a fascinating, uh, congressional race. And there are actually seven other Republicans in the primary. And, and I, I'm not sure Cawthorn can win the primary. It'll be close, but I, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, How does it work? The, the person with the most uh, votes win, even if they only have about 22%? Well, it's a 30% threshold in North Carolina. And um, he... Um, he has to uh, to win it outright. You've got to be first and have at least thirty percent. Uh, otherwise, the top two uh, vote getters move forward into a runoff, and uh, that's actually how Cawthorn was elected. He, he was originally in a like eleven person primary and finished second by a few hundred votes. And so he was in the runoff, and under a variety of circumstances uh, that trended towards him, he ended up and won the runoff. And then, you know, right? Because didn't he label his opponent uh, anti-Trump, and that's what it took? Well, yeah. Which the irony was, his opponent in the runoff had actually been endorsed by Trump. <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, Cawthorn never strayed far from the. Um, um, you know, from jumping in bed with Trump as soon as he could. And vice versa. As soon as Cawthorn won by praising Trump, Trump switched over, right? And said, I love this guy, Madison Cawthorn. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. What's wrong with this guy? Because he he didn't finish college. He lied about getting in the Naval Academy. Do I have all that right? Yeah, I mean, he only finished, I mean, I, I will say, you know, he certainly was involved in a very tragic automobile accident as a teenager that has left him um, uh, partially paralyzed. Well, let's tell um, everybody about that. If I understand it correctly, he was out on a a ride, pretty long trip with a buddy who was driving. He had his right. legs up on the dash. The guy fell asleep and he... Uh, Cawthorn lost the use of his legs as a result when he was 18 years old, right? Right, right. That's correct. And has been involved in litigation both against the driver, um, I, I guess, against the driver. And, you know, he's received uh, a fairly substantial settlement. I read three, $3 million. And, and, yeah, he's, and he's still litigating for $41 million more? Yeah, I think that's correct. Um it's amazing. And, I just as an aside, it's amazing. Conservative Republicans who hate trial lawyers sure do like to sue when they get hurt, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I thought the same thing. Yeah, I haven't heard him criticize plaintiff lawyers. So, right. uh, the, uh, but, you know, then, I mean, he did one semester at a small, very conservative college, I think Patrick Henry, uh, out of that were a number of accusations against him about, you know, sexual misconduct against co-eds, but, um, you know, then he, had, you know, he, when he was running, talked about having been nominated to the Naval Academy and how he was going to go there until, until the accident, only to find out that he had actually been rejected by the Naval Academy prior to the accident. So the accident didn't have anything to do with, with that decision. Um, but he has been singularly an ineffective congressman. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. let's not leave his early life. He, he did. Did he graduate <laughs> high school? Where was that? In Asheville, or did well, he, was he homeschooled? School. Yeah, he was homeschooled. Yeah. How did uh, I guess? He, but he, but he got yeah. a, a high school degree, so he's got Lauren Boebert beat. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, uh, and, but how did he get in with Mark Meadows? There's another winner from North Carolina. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think. Uh, you know, he was interested in, uh, Cawthorn was interested in politics and got an internship with Meta's office and, and then maybe I think worked a little while in it. Uh, but, you know, I just think it was his interest in, in politics. And in fact, you know, uh, Meadows did not endorse him in, in the, uh, primary. It was, it was Linda Bennett, who was a close personal friend of Meadows. And Meadows' wife, uh, who Meadows endorsed, and then of course once uh, Cawthorn won the runoff against Bennett, you know Meadows sort of tacitly supported him. Uh, but I bet you, know, you knew friend. Mark Meadows. Let's you know I'm making judgments about the man. I never met him. You have? Did you think he would yeah, go yeah. full Trumper like that? Well, you know he got involved with the. Um, uh, Freedom Caucus and was one of the big uh, arch conservatives when he got to Washington to, uh, uh, I think, to get Boehner out as, as speaker uh, of the Republican Party in the House. And he, um, you know, I just think he was obviously much more inherently conservative than people realized to begin with. And you know, once he got in Wash, got to Washington, just became intoxicated by the, you know, the power and the conservative uh, movement. But I will say this about Meadows: he is a very smooth, very uh, well-spoken individual. That in listening to him and sort of watching him operate, you would not come away initially with this perception that he's some extreme conservative, but certainly his actions surrounding his time with Trump would evidence that. Uh, speaking of Trump and speaking of Madison Cawthorn, Trump comments on it all the time, and it's pretty darn obvious, although I'm not attracted to men, that Madison Cawthorn has uh, the looks of a model, and Trump has noted it. He's handsome, but the guy apparently doesn't know how to act around women. You brought up at Patrick Henry College. What were the allegations against him? 
And, well, and, and if you want to comment on whether he's handsome or not. <laughs> well, he, he, he's a nice looking young man. He does a lot of weightlifting so that he's very buff. He's enamored with firearms. He, you know, his campaign picture in 2020 was, I mean, it looked like he was armed, ready to go to Ukraine. I mean, you know, camo, pistols, ammo belts, automatic weapon, you know, and so, um, and he's, he's well-spoken in the sense of he's got every platitude, every uh, patriotic quote uh, down. One of the interesting things when he was elected, he said he wasn't going to worry about getting substantive expertise in his congressional office. He was just going to focus on communications. So, uh, I mean, he has you know, really spent most of his his time in office promoting himself and Trump on social media and through campaign appearances and has done woefully little to help the people in the district that he's supposed to be representing. I mean, you know. Has anybody checked? They were- to, is he related to Lauren Boebert? I mean, they act alike. <laughs> it is, it's uh, unbelievable. Not that we're aware of. <laughs> well, I want to get back to the female harassment. There are lots of stories about it, including a buddy of his who went on to work for Jenna Ellis, who's from Colorado. We can talk about lawyers, right. stuff like that. But this guy with his great looks, who apparently is harassing all these females, I'm sure he's settled down into a happy home life with a wonderful wife and. Is that true, or what's happened in his personal life? Well, yeah, come on, Craig. You know the answer I do, to that. I do. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, no, Your Honor, know, I direct the witness to answer. Go ahead. <laughs> he, uh, Kyle Thorne got married uh, maybe about a year or so ago. A lot of hoopla to this attractive young woman from Florida who I think was a fitness instructor. And, you know, his... He missed like the first two weeks, uh, uh, well, not the first two weeks, but two very early in his uh, term of office as a congressman, uh, he took off for a couple of weeks, I think, to the Greek Isles, maybe Turkey, I can't remember. There's some exotic locations where he went for his honeymoon. And then about three months ago, having been married a grand total of nine months, uh, he announced that. Uh, he and his wife were divorced. Oh. That's sort of the last we've we've heard of him. Uh, no, no description of any circumstances to it, but uh, or at least that I've heard of. But um, you know, a, a very short-lived uh, marriage. Here's the thing, Judge. I like you because you are motivated by the right things. And anybody who's been in the court system as long as you and I have, to me, any lawyer has a special responsibility to call out some of the crap that we've seen culminating on January 6th in that awful attack on the Capitol. I know it affected you greatly. My audience hears me rail about it all the time. But wasn't that a key moment in your life? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, at, at my age, you, I've never seen anything like the attack on the Capitol. And, I mean, it was it was stunning. It was unbelievable. And the more, though, that we found out about it, about, you know, the, the underlying efforts by Trump to subvert the constitutional process of having the electoral vote certified and the use of everything from, you know, leaning on Pence to, you know, inciting this this mob to attack the Capitol. Um, it, it, it really was, it really was stunning. And I think represents a, a huge threat to the long-term viability of this country, but to its democratic institutions. Unless and, people are held responsible for what they did. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they, they should be. And, uh, uh it's, um, uh, and again, it was. Were you watching horrific. it all that morning? Because I was watching the speeches from the Ellipse, and I saw Madison Cawthorn, and I said, "Oh boy, tell everybody what Madison Cawthorn did to whip up people on January 6th, and what he just confessed, or what he confessed a while ago to doing, but now it's being reported that he said he was wheeling weaponry on his wheelchair." Tell everybody about yeah. Madison Cawthorn's role in January 6th. Well, I mean, there were all sorts of tweets and social media comments that he made about, you know, the stolen election and, and all of the things uh, that were laying the groundwork for January 6th. And then, you know, he appears at the rally as one of the speakers. And, you know, it wasn't a, sh uh, wasn't a lengthy appearance, but it was like, you know, hey, you folks got a lot of fight in you, and he's putting out tweets that the fight is on, the real fight is going to be on the, uh, in the Congress, and and as you said, he's also uh, admitted to being adequately armed, you know, he and his staff uh, during the, uh, the events of January 6th, so I mean, it, it clearly uh, totally irresponsible uh, conduct, in, in my opinion. But but I would also say uh, very much complicit in the effort to undermine the constitutional process uh, that took place. Right. He's being investigated. So is Lauren Boebert. But I don't know if it's going to come to anything. Uh, Merrick Garland, Department of Justice, do you think they are going to uh, really follow up and get at the not just the people who invaded the Capitol, but the people who organized this conspiracy. Well, you, you know, as a lawyer, it's um, you know you, you want as good evidence as possible before you jump into the formal fray of bringing charges or, or the like. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's been pretty, uh, pretty discouraging, you know, from a Justice Department perspective. Uh, the, all the matters in Russia and uh, in, in Ukraine have, I think, pulled the tension away from the January 6th Commission, which hopefully has a treasure trove of information and, and is continuing to get it, despite people like Cawthorn and Meadows and others doing everything they can not to provide information uh, to the commission. Uh, and 
you know, probably as, as you know, I've been involved in the uh, disqualification challenge to Cawthorn here that got sidetracked by a federal judge and is now up at the Fourth Circuit. Um, Who was that judge? Uh, Why did he do it? Is he a Republican or a Democrat appointee, or is that a horrible question no, to ask a judge? He he is a he was appointed by Trump about two years ago, but he is a uh, former law professor at UNC, somebody that I know and dealt with when when I was uh, teaching classes over there as an ad, adjunct. Uh, I, I, everybody was stunned that he came up and bought this idea that somehow the 1872 Amnesty Act, uh, which was which was passed by Congress by a two-thirds vote pursuant to the 14th Amendment, Section Three, um, you know, let let all these old Confederates off the hook from being disqualified, but the judge ruled that that the intent of Congress was to apply it to everybody going forward, to anybody, you know, including Madison Cawthorn, uh, which is just, uh, I mean, stunning in its uh So, so what's the appellate schedule, Your Honor? I mean, will you get uh, it done in time to keep him off the ballot, or is that a no-hoper? Well, I, I think it's it's probably unrealistic to say that we can keep him off the primary ballot. I think that our primary is May 17th and ballots are in the process shortly of being printed. Uh, but uh, at least under North Carolina law, you know, a candidate can be removed after the fact, uh, but it is, it is, it's a, it's a procedural mess that your listeners don't need to, uh, <laughs> Right. All, all, no, no, but uh, we, yeah, just to sum it up, because a lot of us in Colorado were thinking, hell, Bober tweeted in 1776 on January 6th. Yeah. She's, she tweeted the speaker has left the chamber. And so a yeah, lot of us right. think she's done some insurrectionist thing, and your lawsuit gave thought to a lawsuit here, but when you got derailed by that federal court, boy, that had to be a tough day for you. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, uh, I mean, there were a number of claims that Cawthorn's attorney, Jim Bob, who's a prominent conservative First Amendment guy, raised. But, but to base the decision on the 1872 Amnesty Act for Confederates was just beyond the pale. I don't think anybody would have predicted that. And since the judge did not let our challengers um, intervene in the federal lawsuit, you know, we're in this weird procedural posture now in trying to, um, you know, get the Fourth Circuit to make some sort of definitive ruling uh, on the merits as opposed to uh, just the question of whether we should have been allowed to intervene. The, uh, Cawthorn named the State Board of Elections and they don't really have a dog in the fight over whether the 1872 Act applies or not. Uh, and, and so, anyway, so we're well, we got some really good lawyers. Uh, uh, the Free Speech for People nonprofit out of Amherst um, has been the lead. We've got uh, John Wallace and Press Millen uh, involved uh, here as North Carolina. Um, 
local council uh, along with uh, my involvement. And so we'll just see what the Fourth Circuit says. We're on hold right now, but it's, it's an important legal issue and an important constitutional uh, question. Uh, I think the framers specifically intended that if somebody takes an oath to support the Constitution and defend it, and then they engage or support uh, and lend aid and comfort to uh, insurrection or rebellion, they are barred from holding public office unless Congress, by two-thirds vote, clears them. Right. And In Colorado right now, the legislature is passing a law that if you are convicted of an election-related crime, you cannot be a clerk and recorder or Secretary of State, and that's because Tina Peters, you have to come up with special rules saying we're not going to elect people who are trying to destroy us. And it's amazing that we need such laws, but it turns out that we do. And it's because of these people, and I'm wondering what motivates them. And with Cawthorn and Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, they all play on uh, Christianity. Would you? Would that be fair? I mean, is, is there a church element yeah, to this? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly there is. Uh, they have sort of co-opted the Christian right, and, and you know whether it's because of you know the abortion issue or or, or what, but you know one of one of the uh, staggering aspects of the rise of Trump with all of these Christians, you know, <laughs> weighing in and saying what a fine Christian fella uh, Mr. Trump is. And uh, I, I, I confess, I'm, I'm not going to try and judge somebody's level of faith, but he hasn't demonstrated much to me <laughs> in the right. greater context of uh, his public life or private life for that matter. So, but, but, you know, so I, I'm I'm far from an expert on Christianity, but I bet it's proved divisive in some churches in North Carolina. It's certainly true here. But what I worry about more than anything with Cawthorn, Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, it's the bigotry. It's a white power movement in America. And I want to bounce some things off of you because I respect you greatly. And that is that... Uh, I see a white power chain running from the formation of Aryan Nations in 83 into Denver to kill Alan Berg, a talk radio host, a Jewish talk radio host, on to Oklahoma City, on to Charlottesville, on to January 6th. I see the same bigots uh, at the front of the brigade. It's not all of them, but I'm worried that not only is the white power movement bigger than I ever realized— but that Cawthorn, Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they're leaders of this movement, and of course the biggest leader, Donald J. Trump. Am I onto something or am I overreacting? No, race has historically been uh, you know, America's ongoing cancer. Uh, and with the influx of people of color from around the world into the country, uh, and old uh, racial animosity still still lingering in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, unfortunately, we have seen uh, Trump and the likes of Cawthorn and 
Bobert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, the, the critical race theory uh, bugaboo. I mean, you know, that, I mean, w- what they're doing is playing on people's fears, people's racial prejudices, uh, and uh, it's, I mean, it's, it, I know you, you get in trouble, whoever gets in, says it gets in trouble when you start comparing things today to the rise and fall of the Third Reich. William, William Shire wrote a book called The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, and I read it shortly after I was in the Army or during the time I was in the Army, and then uh, I read it again in 2017, you know, as, as the Trump era was beginning. And the the kinds of policies, the kinds of rhetoric, the kinds of, of false narratives that Hitler used to come to power are the same kinds of false neg- uh, stories and and, and uh, prejudices against racial and religious minorities uh, that we see today. I mean, there is, you know, I mean, granted, you know, it's a different time, but the 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 same methods that were used are, are, are being used today, and that's the same rhetoric. Yeah. The leader says the media is the enemy of the people. I mean, yeah. holy cow. And I was in the media, and I said, I don't like that. What are we doing? But nobody else on the station seemed to care. Nobody at Fox News seemed to care when that's the playbook of Mussolini, Hitler, every tyrant in the world, including Putin. He just got rid of all the media, and he passed yeah. a so-called fake news law. This is out of the autocrats' playbook. Why can't people see this? Yeah, uh, exactly. And, uh, um, you know, so. It, it, but it's, it, and, and here's what I think when I hear Cawthorn calls Zelensky a thug. I hear anti Semitism there. Am I just reaching for something, but he doesn't like the little Jew? He prefers Putin, the guy with the cross around his neck. And I want to talk to you about Russia because maybe I'm going overboard, but. Putin is a white power hero to a lot of these far-right people, and they're rooting for him, including Tucker Carlson. What do you make of all that? Well, again, it's this this huge inconsistency in which, you know, when I was sort of prime time in my political career, you know, the era of Reagan and Bush— I mean, Russia, even after the Berlin Wall fell, even after the Soviet Union was broken up, uh, Russia was still, I think, perceived to be an enemy of democracy. And and the fact that the Republican Party is virtually in bed with Russia uh, is is staggering. I mean, that, that these people... Uh, you know, have taken huge amounts of money and campaign contributions, and you know, lobbying firms are over. There, you know, are hired by the Russian government to try and influence uh, this country. Um, and you know, granted, I do see uh, more support uh, for Ukraine than I do from Russia on the uh, sort of across the political 
front. Right, but not from Madison uh, Cawthorn. Is the guy a bigot? Yeah, no, Do no, you think no. he dislikes Zelensky for the reasons? Am I just too sensitive as a Jewish person? I mean, I, how can somebody be rooting against Zelensky right now? What's up with that? I, yeah, well, it, you know, I, I think he was parroting the, the sort of Trump you know, Hunter Biden, you know, all of that stuff going back, you know, to the to the campaign and and, you know, what Trump got impeached for the first time and, you know, holding back arms to uh, to Ukraine. So he's not a thoughtful person. He's I mean, not even know. smart enough to be an anti-Semite. He, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Don't you think that Putin has something on Trump, given the way they acted in Helsinki? You, you've studied the situation. And, and, and let's yeah. face it, Putin's the richest guy in the world. He has all these connected people that he's made billionaires. America, politicians can be bought. They found ways to buy politicians. I think we've been infiltrated. I think we have politicians who've been compromised. And I think one of them is Donald Trump. Am I going too far? Well, you know, since, you know, the early stages of, of Trump's uh, appearance on the political stage, I have thought that, too. Uh, I confess that I keep, you know, I, I keep wondering, okay, I read this, I read that. When is something substantive going to be proven? And I have... You know, Trump supporters who are friends of mine, believe it or not, you know, they'll say, oh, well, you know, you said Trump was a Russian asset or that, you know, but where, how come nothing's come out in four years? And I hate to say it, but they got a point. You know, I keep, you know, I keep wanting uh, or thinking that, that yes, you know, he, his finances are, are intertwined with, you know, money laundering from Russia and all that stuff. But all we've got uh, are sort of rumors and speculations. Oh, and we've got Paul. Sort. We've got Paul Manafort, who was yeah. Putin's main man in Ukraine, and yeah. he paid Manafort to fix the election in 2014. It didn't pay off. He's been pissed ever since. Manafort becomes uh, Trump's campaign manager. Roger Stone, with all his Russian connections, the fact that. Jeffrey Epstein's tapes were taken by a West Palm Beach detective to Moscow, where he lives in a DACA now. I mean, Dacha, I see too many things. And, you know, again, you're the judge, and maybe you're saying, Mr. Silverman, you're going way overboard. But I see the timing of Ukraine the same way. Why is Putin striking now? Because the January 6th committee is closing in. Uh, John Eastman, who was, I'm sad to say, connected to the University yeah. of Colorado when this happened, visiting conservative professor. They won't do that again. Anyway, he wrote emails to Greg Jacob, counsel for Penn, saying, well, we know it's a violation, but can you go with this? And, and Trump knew it was illegal. And a lot of evidence is coming out, but... They were planning for big springtime hearings, and now Russia and Ukraine knocks it off the front page. That was highly predictable. Who's going to be able yeah. to hear the case against Trump? This guy's a master at obstructing justice, and mobsters 
they create diversions for their fellow racketeers. Again, am I going too far, or do you think maybe I'm on to something? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I think, I, I, you know, what, what can I say, Craig? I mean, I, 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 on the one hand, I agree, yeah, evidence is coming out, but what I want to see, if he's done something wrong, he needs to be indicted. You know, if there's evidence, convincing evidence that, you know, then then that's what I want to see. Uh, you know, it's I mean, it's it's just sort of, and maybe it's all because they have carefully, you know, constructed ways to avoid any sort of responsibility. But you know, here we are, uh, a year plus after he left office. In four years after, you know, he, four years as president, he hadn't been, you know, I mean, he really hadn't been charged with much of anything. I know they got investigations on his finances. I know, but did that Georgia call, didn't that sound illegal to you? I'm, I'm sorry, what did you say? That Georgia called Rappensburger? I mean, he's yeah, committed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, there, you know, there's, and it's almost like there's so much out there. I'm waiting for something to stick. You know, there's a difference between you and me feeling that right. or believing that this is the case. I, I want to see something that sticks. What do you think and, Trump and Putin talked about in Helsinki? No note takers. <laughs> I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't even speculate. Well, can that. I speculate? Because yeah. we're not in a court of law. And, and again, tell me if this doesn't make any sense. But I think they decided we are the kings. We are the champions. And you know what, Mr. Putin, you can have Europe. And we'll give Mr. Xi Asia. We'll give some of our Saudi and uh, uh, United Arab Emirates friends their neck of the woods, maybe Bolsonaro and Brazil. Trump gets America. And you know what? The only way it got interfered with where the people voted for Joe Biden instead. But as this war grinds on and gas prices are way up there, it's highly predictable that eventually people will say, this ain't working. We have too much crime. We have this and that. And Putin is a problem that only one man can solve. That's Donald J. Trump. If we elect him, he can calm Putin. That's what we need to do. Starting in 2022, we're going to reelect Madison Cawthorn and Lauren Boebert. And once they get in, they may even make Donald Trump Speaker of the House, or in reality, he will be regardless. And I don't think we have too much time because uh, those midterms are coming up. Talk me down from the ledge. I know you're aiming at the midterms, but but can you see that scenario where people – and Trump said it in South Carolina on Saturday night. He would never do it if I was president. I got along with Guy that's his new campaign pledge. I can yeah. call Putin. Do you see that working? Well, I, I will say this, and then I'm, I'm going to, I've got to. Yeah, no, I understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. But, yes. uh, but um, the, um, uh, I, I am worried about the 22 election. The Democrats are not the most organized political party I've ever seen. Uh, it's, you know there there are a lot of problems, um, and you know the Republicans playing on the fears, playing on prejudices, you know, or or motivating voters. And 
I, I, I do worry I, what would happen if, if the Republicans take over the, the Congress. Uh, I mean, I can assure you Joe Biden's what, whatever he might want to accomplish will be completely hindered. And um, so I don't know. I, uh, I hate just, to leave it on a, on a negative note. No, but, no, but it's all right because you're striving. You, you're doing everything you can. I urge people to check out your podcast, The Battle for NC-11. You've been really generous with your time, and keep going against Madison Cawthorn because if those guys prevail, then then America is really in trouble, right? Really? Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, I, I want to be optimistic, but it's it's going to take more than what we're doing right now to turn the tide. But but I'll keep plugging. You keep plugging, and I appreciate you having me on your show and. Uh, enjoyed our conversation and thank you. Uh, hopefully, Judge. I haven't said anything that'll get me in trouble. No, you won't. <laughs> All right, take okay. care, sir. Thanks so much. Right. Bye sure. now. Bye-bye. Hey, if you like this show, please shout it out on your Purple Apple Podcast app. It would be so wonderful if you would scroll down, spot that place to leave a five star review and your personal review. Kind words appreciated. Thanks so much. Tell your friends. So there you have it. What a great show. Thank you, Rabbi Rick Rines. Thank you, Judge Bob Orr. Thank you, Troubadour Dave Gunders. Thank you to the listeners. If you like this show, please share it, subscribe, tell a friend, give us a good rating. Until next week, let's pray for peace. Let's pray for Zelensky. Let's pray for Ukraine. And let's meet again next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.